0: I've been to, you know, a thousand and one different startup networking um, events, but there was this one where I went to, and it was just a regular uh, Chamber of Commerce event that everyone has in different cities. So I was at the Chamber of Commerce here in Montreal. And when I was telling them about, you know, what I was doing, because they always ask, like, what are you doing? So I'm telling them what, what my... Product does what VentureX does. Um, how I started my my angel fund, uh, VentureX Capital. You know what we invest in, and all of these things. They were very polite. They were very interested. You can tell that they were polite to each other all the time. But they were surprised by my answer because everyone else was incorporated and had like very specific title in their, in, on their business card and everything. And I used to have those things too, but they, they didn't really ask the same kinds of follow up questions as they did to me because I stood out (laughs) because I was different from everyone else in the whole building. And they didn't know why they still don't know why I chose this path, even though I told them the story, because it was something that was so far away from their usual environment, you know? And that was great for me because then I got to see something different too. I got to see people who were different from me on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's great.
1: Welcome visionaries, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, leaders, and growth seekers of all types to the Passion Struck Podcast. Hi, I'm John Miles, a peak performance coach, multi-industry CEO, Navy veteran, and entrepreneur on a mission to make passion go viral for millions worldwide. And each week I do so by sharing with you an inspirational message in interviewing high achievers from all walks of life to unlock their secrets and lessons to becoming passion struck the purpose of our show is to serve you the listener by giving you tips tasks and activities you can use to achieve peak performance and pursue a passion-driven life you have always wanted to have now Let's become passion struck. Welcome to episode forty-two of the Passion Struck podcast. And today I am so excited to have Sydney Wong on the show. But before I get into that, I wanted to start the show off with a quote by Peter Drucker, who said, "The entrepreneur always searches for change, responds to it, and exploits it as an opportunity." And Jessica Heron said, "You have to see failure as the beginning and the middle, but you can never entertain it as the end." Both of those quotes are so fitting for today's. Episode because Sydney and I are going to talk about her path from going to McGill University to getting her master's degree in Paris to then taking a one way trip to San Francisco and what that adventure meant to her and how it completely changed her life. We're going to then go into what she is doing in Canada to create an entrepreneur ecosystem so that she can cultivate startups using the tricks and trades that she learned during her time in San Francisco. So much information here today to unpack, but let me tell you a little bit more about our guest. Sydney Wong is an author and entrepreneur who enjoys helping others by giving life advice and self-improvement tips. Sydney also enjoys learning as much as she can about how to be productive and have a balanced life as she believes that this is the key to being successful. Sydney has come out with How to Have a Good Day, where she writes under the pen name David Adams to give her best tips and tricks on how to increase individual well-being whilst we were in the lockdown and beyond. I am so excited for you to hear this episode today now. Now, let's become Passion Struck. Hi, thank you so much for joining today's episode of the Passion Struck podcast. I am just excited to have Sydney Wong, the founder and CEO of VentureX, with me here today. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me. Well,
1: Sidney, as we were talking beforehand, I always like to give the listeners and viewers kind of some background of what led you into what you're doing today. And I thought maybe a good starting point would be many people might not be familiar with McGill University in Montreal, and it's actually has a fantastic global reputation. Um, What led you there? And of all the universities you could pick, what made you want to go to McGill?
0: Yeah, so that's a that's a great question. It was actually the only Canadian university I applied to even though I am Canadian, that is my only citizenship. So um, when I was 17 and applying to different universities, I'm originally born in Victoria, BC. And I'm the first person in my family that is actually born here. So that meant a lot to any immigrant family, of course, when you have their first child being born in a new country, and it makes kind of that builds that seed for everyone else to either immigrate over or inspires them to raise their families here and everything. So uh, McGill meant a lot to us and uh, the other universities, which were in the US, so all the different Ivy League schools I've also applied to, I was the first one in my high school to get a scout to come all the way to my small town in Victoria, BC, and got interviewed at Harvard. So they sent a scout to me and it was my first interview because I was a teenager and I was in my principal's office I was so nervous because and he asked me only questions I didn't know, had nothing to do with academics. He only asked me about uh, my family's financial history and all these things that teenagers normally wouldn't know because he was concerned that there were a lot of students, he said, that came from other countries and they couldn't afford the international student rate. And then they would drop out. And so, and so they had all of these different kinds of concerns that really had nothing to do with the application itself. I was very unprepared for this. Um, and then eventually... I um, I got a scholarship to go to McGill. I actually ended up with four scholarships to go to McGill. So that was a great sign that that's where I should be. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was so different than the rest of canada because mcgill is one of the english universities in a french province because it is in quebec but it is a scottish heritage um university so we have like people playing bagpipes at our ceremonies and everything and uh and yeah it's, it's one of the oldest universities and what's very unique about it too it's, it's right in downtown so wherever your biggest mall is in your cities. Our school is two blocks away. So if you can imagine what that's like in in your city, it means a lot that you don't have to go all around um, in order to go to school. And things are really catered for students there. There's about like 30,000 students that attend McGill, mostly in in undergrad. And then when I did my master's in France, it was at a school called ESEC. They knew I came from McGill. And they said that if I came from McGill, then you're going to find our school in France very easy.
1: (laughs) Well, that tells you something right there. And had you spoken French before you went to McGill and then traveled to France for your master's? Or is that something you had to pick up?
0: Yeah. So in Canada, we all have to take uh, French. It's different in every province. So in my province, we have to take French for at least one year, which is not enough. So you don't really learn very much in one year. But I I think I took it for three years. Yeah, I took it for three years in high school. And then I went to a French camp. So French camp is this thing that that's not really what it's called but uh, we all we all called it French camp. It's called the Explore program. So it's this thing that is paid for by the government. So if you are from an Anglophone background, you can go to French camp in Quebec and you're there for like a whole summer and you like live at the school and you don't speak English for the entire summer, regardless of your level. It's very intensive. Um, and then you get to go on field trips too. It's really fun. So the same thing happens with um, the other way around in order to make students more bilingual and allow them to have these kinds of prepared skills for life, like entrepreneurship, for example. Right. Um, and then I went to France. So when I went to France, every international student had to be in a French as a second language course, and they're graded, uh, sorry, they're assessed, and then they're put into a certain level, and then they're graded within that level for the year. So they will always kind of support and adjust you kind of throughout the, the system. But all of my classes at McGill are English because McGill is an English university.
1: Well, before the show, I, we, we were talking and I, I mentioned to you that one of my son's good friends is, is graduating from McGill this year. And one of the things she mentioned about it was that it had such a global feel like like you're talking about uh, that she really loved it because she got to have all these cultural differences or aspects that you probably would not have gotten uh, at another university.
0: That's very true. It's the only time in your life you get to like live in residence, you get to to live close, like six seconds away from somebody from another country uh, immediately, and uh, and have these experiences uh, together too and be able to kind of navigate through your student life and your experiences in all the same way, regardless of where you're from. So I think something like over 50% of all the international student bodies were were from the US, because to them, it was actually cheaper to pay international fees at our universities than to go to their state universities, which I found very surprising.
1: Well, it's interesting for me, because I have a son who's 23 and has come out of getting a business degree with a specialization in marketing and I've just been observing especially his time right now uh, post-COVID of what the job market is like and also observing uh, for these young teacher leaders um, how different the world is once they get out of school than maybe they thought it was going to be and I think for you uh, what you're doing today wasn't what you necessarily were planning to do when you went to McGill. Um, yeah. Can you talk about your earlier career and what you thought your aspirations were? Because I think so many people are finding, you know, maybe they've thought they're going to be one thing, and then they end up reinventing or finding their passion in a different area. So I think that would be good background.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's the kind of saying that is like, uh, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plan, Right. So when uh, when we were at uh, when we were in university, there weren't uh, entrepreneurship classes at the time, just because like, and and even now, it's actually very difficult, because I'm one of the few people who as an entrepreneur went back to teach in universities, because there actually aren't a lot of people who came from entrepreneurship who would want to teach it and then could and all of these things that can't kind of come with, you know, it's hard to to create that uh, to go back into that kind of structured system in that way. It's not accommodated for that. And so students didn't have the benefit of learning entrepreneurship and all of the possibilities that came with it when we were studying. So we were trained to be in corporate. So then of course we naturally went those routes. I, in, interestingly enough, this is like, because we're, we're in it right now. I also graduated around the time of the recession. So it was a bad time to graduate. Um, and then it was, and then there was, uh, you know, just during, the, during the, the crisis time, the housing market crisis and, um, and all of those things that affected all new grads at that time too, because there were only certain industries that were thriving. So if you were in marketing and sales and, and that you were usually put into those two-year programs, um, this is in, in Canada. So you usually put into those two-year programs in either oil or tech because those are the industries that were hiring us. And so eventually I did go into marketing and tech. And instead, I didn't want to move all the way to where the oil rigs are, because that is where the companies were. You had to move to those parts of the country for those kinds of jobs at the time, because that's what was there if you wanted to stay in your industry, if you wanted to practice what you've been learning for the past four years. And then also uh, the other thing was that uh, I was the only chosen intern at my old firm, which was Ogilvy & Mathers. So that was the biggest advertising firm in the world worth something like $60 billion at the time. And they were the only ones hiring. So they told me this on my first week that I was chosen out of 500 candidates in Canada. Because they didn't really have a lot of uh, positions opening during those times, during the times that I was studying. But what is really important, and I do try to be very mindful of this when I have students that are working at my company to understand you know the experiences that they're getting now really does affect so much of what they're going to go into and the different opportunities that are going to open up for them later on. So we're so happy that we've had two of our developers uh, that were students at the time go all the way to uh, Silicon Valley for their future jobs. And we wrote them recommendation letters. And, you know, we also, my, my CTO and I both lived there too. So we do follow those kinds of structures and want to help them along with their, um, you know, student career as well, because we didn't get the same kinds of opportunities. So we want to be those creators of those opportunities for other people.
1: Yeah. So I think that's a great lead into this next chapter of your life. So. So as I have read and researched your background, you decided to do something pretty amazing. You decided to buy a one way ticket to San Francisco. And I want you to tell the audience about that experience and why you ended up taking it because wow, what a not something that everyone does every day of the week completely changed their life like that.
0: Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I feel like it's uh, you, at the end of your life, you regret the risks that you didn't take not the thing, not the ones that you did take. And so I had a friend who I met in silicon valley a while ago and i met him through an app called Couchsurfing. and so he was taking me around to different places and it was really cool and um and then yeah we were talking later on that i was just finishing my consulting position because i was working on a project for marketing automation and um and yeah and so i really wanted to kind of see what the next steps were he said if i was very interested in learning more about tech and startup then i needed to move down to the valley So I did, I actually bought a one-way ticket and I moved in with him. And then I got to learn a lot about different startups and investors and how things worked in a very different world. It was like a whole new world. Everything seemed possible and everything seemed available and accessible. It was so interesting to kind of see that energy and see that innovation and see that creativity happening in front of you all the time. And the problem that I ended up wanting to solve so much was how can I help these startups get funding? Because I wanted to be able to help things become easier, more transparent, more meritocracy based and uh, analytical and all of these things that. We're not currently there. It was, a lot of the the industry was still very much uh, a know-how or um, you know very informal or those kinds of things where you went to Stanford with a future investor kind of a thing. And it's not uh, bringing in enough innovation and diversity and opportunities for all of these really hardworking startups. So that was the problem that I wanted to solve. And that is actually how I built uh, VentureX, which is a platform that uh, connects startups and um, investors at the seed stage, and through their analytics, so through their key performance indicators.
1: Well, that's great. And one of the reasons I actually founded PassionStruck is because 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 I find fewer and fewer people are willing to take the risk to become an entrepreneur or to really go after what they aspire to do. And as I've done my research, the rate of entrepreneurship in almost all Western countries has been on a steep decline for the past few plus decades. And I call it that it's three contagions that are, are happening here combined. One is um, the contagion of showmanship, I say it's the contagion of comfort. And the last one is apathy or indifference, uh, which is the exact opposite of following your passion. And I'm based on what you're seeing, having been in Silicon Valley and now in other parts of the world, uh, have you seen a similar pattern?
0: Yeah, I I think that, you know, you are always a product of your environment. So I I feel like that's not, maybe that's not always true, but it is a big part of it to be true. So why do um, children of entrepreneurs, tend to have more uh, appetite for risk? Why do they tend to be more um, in line with the kind of entrepreneurial spirit? And, uh, you know, why why are they good at calculating um, risk in a certain way or factors or cost benefits or those kinds of things? It's because they were used to it growing up. You are a factor, you know, you are a product of your environment. And then in the same way, if you are in a very conservative place and in a place where, you know, conservatism is highly praised and risk is highly you know, thought of, as a a very bad thing, then you're less likely to go through entrepreneurial paths, right? So when we were in school, and there was no entrepreneurship uh, program or class at that particular time, nobody really went through that path. I think I I knew one person in all of business school who did and but not having the foundation to calculate your break even not having the foundation to understand your different startup costs and your milestones and these kinds of things, because you learn things differently in school when you're being trained to be another corporate future Titan of some kind. And so they they don't have the same uh, mindset and who you're around does really dictate what kind of a mindset you have. So those cogs that you were talking about, you know, are the people around you people who have those certain things? And if so, can you prove it? Is there any evidence that that's true or are they just things that sound super nice and awesome? So that's that's great, too. But it, it's very uh, it's very evident based, you know, who has had done some entrepreneurial tenancy activities in the past and who hasn't. And how you associate with them, and your immediate reactions to them. Um, an example that that I can give you is: it was I've been to a, you know a thousand and one different startup networking um, events, but there was this one where I went to, and it was just a regular uh, chamber of commerce event that everyone has in different cities. So I was at the chamber of commerce here in Montreal, and when I was telling them about you know what I was doing, because they always ask like, "What are you doing?" So I'm telling them about what, what my Product does what VentureX does. Um, how I started my my angel fund, uh, VentureX Capital. You know what we invest in, and all of these things. They were very polite. They were very interested. You can tell that they were polite to each other all the time. But they were surprised by my answer because everyone else was incorporated, corporate and had like very specific title in their in the, on their business card and everything. And I used to have those things too. But they they didn't really ask the same kinds of follow up questions as they did to me because I stood out <laughs> because I was different from everyone else in the whole building. And they didn't know why they still don't know why I chose to, this path, even though I told them the story because it was something that was so far away from their usual environment, you know, and that was great for me because then I got to see something different too. Too. I got to see people who were different from me on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's great.
1: That is great. Well, I I live, as we talked, in the Tampa Bay area, and probably not someplace still you would think of a lot of startups happening. I, I can tell you a decade ago, um, it was pretty nascent, but a couple things have happened. Well, one, we have uh, the MacDill Air Force Base, and so we have Special Operations Command and CENTCOM there. And they have started a program for SOCOM called Softworks, where instead of building products which may be classified in their whole, they're able to bid out parts of it to different vendors in an unclassified way. And this way they can get around the whole procurement method that you typically have to take in the military, which can take a very long time. And so as a result of that, for one thing, more and more companies started coming to the area so that they could support uh, those two major military commands. But then similar, I think, to your concept, uh, a number of years ago, funding source was launched called Florida Funders. And what they were trying to do was be the funding mechanism that helped startups get their initial funding. And they do it in a way where some of it comes from Florida funders and their pot of money that they have, and they fund out of there. But they also allow, I think it's registered or authenticated investors to come in, and they can bring their money into any of the deals that they do as well. And they do it not only in Tampa, but throughout the entire uh, state. And then we had another organization that was formed kind of coexisting with floor funders, and they're now separate called Synapse. And what Synapse was trying to do was be that connector for an entrepreneur to have all its different ecosystems around it and so what we have seen over the past five years and especially with the migration of people coming from the Midwest and northeast coming down to Tampa now is just a booming now of our startup culture here which is great to see and um, I'm wondering if that's kind of the same methodology you use with venture apps
0: yeah so definitely most startups that I have uh, have seen have grown in places like hubs so like what you're talking about like a hub like a support right and um, and we have a lot of partnerships with different kinds of hubs, for sure, including a startup grind in uh, in Silicon Valley, and uh, a lot of the ones here, as well as uh, internationally. So having that kind of attraction to these hubs will pro- provide a lot of support. What is important is the quality of the support that you are receiving. So for example, if I were um, doing a-, a startup that is using both technology and AI in space, then probably being close to one of those space stations would be something that is highly, highly favorable. Right. And then you got to weigh the pros and cons of, okay, well, what if there is another partner that is further away that I also need to be in contact with and need, you know, constant support going to their physical centers or whichever it is that I need to be in touch with or be there and how often. And um, so things will always be evolving and changing. Um, And you could be going from Hub to hub, just depending on what your current needs are. But I would just always say that when it comes to knowing what's the right place for you, and um, it, it has to do with what your needs are right now, but also in the next twelve months, the next eighteen months.
1: Okay, um, and I want to go back to our discussion before we we got here. You know, we you brought up something that I think is very common, and that is. People see themselves from, I always say it's who their parents were, what zip code they came from, what the social economic environment was around them that influences what they feel inside they're capable of of achieving. And that's where you know a lot of our belief system comes from. What do you think is the problem that people have with self-narrative? And what is some advice that you could give the listeners if they're struggling with this on how they can kind of work on their inner, inner self and maybe... Maybe some steps that they could take to do so?
0: Yeah, that, that's a great question. So, of course, thinking a lot of what happened in the past year, we've all been really inside of our heads because we've been all really inside of our homes, right? <laughs> and so, all of that self narrative is usually more negative than it is positive, especially when you're trying to find motivation to, um, you know, do. Your project, whether it's your side gig or your remote work or, um, you know, work as an entrepreneur every single day, it's getting harder and harder for sure to find that because your foundation, usually it is either your peer group, your community, you know, which part of the city you were raised in or the, the, the parents that you had or the guardians that you, you had, it seeps in whether it's going to be positive or negative and it highly influences how you are now, whether or not it's a conscious thing, it can come into your dreams or your subconscious, but it triggers your energy level, it triggers your mental uh, mindset, and it triggers how high you're really raising your potential, whether it's going to be low potential or whether it's going to be aspiring. And you think that one day you're going to be like Elon Musk's personal close friend you know, whichever level you think that you're going to be is already something that is conditioned in you. It is something, of course, you can definitely work on. In my theory, I always think that if you want to have a happy life, you have a series of happy days. And so um, what I did during the first quarantine, and this is my advice is that I wrote a book called how to have a good day, it is under a pen name. So it is not under my real name. So how to have a good day, I'm going to send the link over to you. And it's a really short, uh, quick read. It's a it's written in the kind of like a Tim Ferriss style, where you can go back and forth to the book when you are looking for inspiration or advice or motivation, Or just productivity tips for whatever it is you need that day. And it really does help people who are remote working, looking for um, a bit more inspiration or boost, or people that are entrepreneurs. Because, of course, being an entrepreneur for so long myself, I did write it with thinking about those people in mind because I talk to them every day.
1: Okay. Well, for you you take this big step of going to San Francisco, what do you think was that the step? Or was it something that happened in San Francisco that really made your career take off and switched your direction?
0: Yeah, so definitely it was something that happened in San Francisco. So when I went to San Francisco, I was working for a wealth management firm. So I was a it was in Toronto, so that I was working remotely. So um, I was working for a wealth management firm, the IRS didn't really believe me. They're like, why are you coming here? taking all these American jobs that I'm like, I'm not don't have any papers to do that. So uh, but when I got there, I got to actually meet all of the people that were doing startups, all the people that were uh, starting new projects, even people that were in companies, and they had the flexibility and the opportunity to work on a big project that then became a startup that was acquired by that company or partnered with that company. So everyone had these flexibility kinds of opportunities to be creative and to be innovative and to really challenge um, what is happening in front of them, you know? And so um, those were the kinds of things that really inspired me. I wanted to see more of this in all the different places that I've ever lived and all the places that anyone um, is struggling at right now. Just to be like, there is a solution to what you're going through and somebody's going to find it or you're going to be able to find it. And here are different ways that we can help you do
1: so. Yeah. And during that time, was there a relationship you developed or potentially a, a mentor you met that helped you on this experience or uh, was it really you doing it by yourself?
0: A lot of it, I felt like I was doing it by myself. I think that if I was there longer and the US visa didn't ask me to leave, then I would have probably have found someone specific. one of the examples that I have is just kind of drawing inspiration from all the different people that you met. So one of the first people that I met when I was there was the CEO and founder of Couchsurfing. So it's a 10 million person platform at the time where people kind of do Airbnb, but it's free, and they are also there. So um, you get to do in all these different countries. I've done it myself, both as a surfer and as a host, I thought it was really fun. So one of the first things that he taught me was you can always learn something from someone when you're here. And that was really interesting, because it was teaching you to always stay open minded, even if you disagree with the person in front of you, right? Find out why find out what's their their trigger, learn, learn from what their experiences or knowledge or anything like that. And the more kinds of questions that you ask, people are very willing to stop everything they're doing to help you and answer you and you know, do, do that like people were very late for work when they were trying to help me figure out how to use the subway system. I didn't know you had to use exact coins. That seems like the, like the most backwards 80s thing possible. Why should I be bringing exact coins all the time? So, and then you had to use like all these different machines. They were like it really far away from each other. So it was these kinds of things that, um, that really got me to understand, okay, these people are not really just saying that they're open and helpful and friendly. They're showing me by doing all of these things. And there's more that I can learn from asking more questions, from meeting more people. And they're not holding me accountable for anything in return or anything specific. It was just something that uh, was part of the culture, was part of the environment.
1: What's interesting you bring that up because most entrepreneurs I've been around are happy to share their lessons because I think all of us who have been one have been through the mud a few times along the way. If you're not failing to me you're not pushing forward as you know one of the quotes that i started this episode with says you know failure is going to be something that you have at the beginning at the middle but you can't let it define your end. I thought that was a great quote because yeah. we learn so much by the failures along the way. Is there a failure you had that you learned from and it's allowed you to grow?
0: Oh, there's so many. So I, um, one, of the, one of the things that, that happened that really surprised people, and I talked about this on a couple of other podcasts too, was that, so for my company, um, it's, it's very rare in general, actually, in startup to publicly say I turned down funding because that seems backwards and strange. And it seems like, oh, wasn't this the goal the whole time? So I did. I turned down um, my series of funding. I actually didn't open a round of funding. They just happened to be offered at the same time. So I turned down um, over $4 million of funding at, at Seed Round. And uh, these were from investors that I knew here in Canada. and um, And then also... What happened was that if I had taken the money and at the time I was heavily criticized by everyone to not take any of their money, right? Because it seems crazy to be turning down that kind of money and to be turning down anything, to be turning down opportunities in general, when you're in such an early stage sounds crazy absolutely absurd. But at the end of the day, I've got to see that uh, these were not the right investors uh, as a fit for me. Your journey as an entrepreneur is like writing a storybook where different characters come into your book or into your life at a very specific time. And they have certain reasons to be there, right? There's reasons why people come into your life and there's reasons why they're not in your life anymore. And investors are the same way. You do want to make sure that the timing is right. You want to make sure that your product is what they're expecting. You want to make sure that your vision is is, uh, is the same as their vision as well you know what happens when you do take this and what what will the the stakes be what will the results be what will the vision be and will it be different than than what you've initiated before so these were the kinds of things that um, i've got to learn and i was glad that i didn't end up taking the money. I feel like I would have been in a much more different kind of whirlwind if I did. But at the time, definitely, there wasn't anybody that didn't heavily criticize me for not taking uh, taking their funding.
1: Did you know that Forbes magazine recently cited that 70% of individuals who do personal development, masterminds, and one-on-one coaching benefited from better work performance increased communication skills, and overall better relationships. And we at PassionStruck are obsessed with self-development, coaching, and mentorship. That is why we've created a free resource to help you unlock your hidden potential. Because people doing great things in business and life are just like you, only they've had a coach along the way. And we've got that covered too. Let us show you the systems and frameworks that we teach Growth minded individuals to help them step into their sharp edges. Get ready to supercharge your hiring experience with Indeed, our fantastic partner. We at Passionstruck are all about seeking smarter, more efficient ways to do things. And Indeed perfectly aligns with this philosophy when it comes to hiring. It's more than just a job site, it's a comprehensive platform that revolutionizes the way you find the perfect candidates. Just go to Indeed.com slash Passionstruck right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Passionstruck. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember, so we put them all at Passionstruck.com slash deals. Now back to Passionstruck. Execute on their passion journeys and get predictable results time and time again. Go to Passionstruck.com slash coaching right now and let's get igniting. I understand exactly where you're coming from, because I've seen and been a part of a number of startups where they have taken money, but their vision and those people who invested in them were completely different. And so then they get into these situations where they're almost fighting their board, so to speak, on vision of where the company is going. And that can be very painful, as, as you've said. And I really believe in the concept of the law of attraction. Uh, I recently did a podcast on it, and I think we put out. Out in the universe what we need and if you listen to that then the timing will allow those things that you need to come into your life to actually come into your life and we both believe in this concept of balance and for me the law of attraction and kind of my balance system of interacting with it revolves around things such as yoga daily mindfulness practice just doing exercise things like that but I know it's very important for you as well can you tell me about the importance of balance in your life
0: Yeah absolutely so um I have changed quite a few things um, since the quarantine has happened, of course, just like everyone else. I have found that one of the things that I was noticeably bad at every time that things got overwhelming was losing my sleep. So I have invested a crazy amount of just resources into getting better sleep all of the time. And I have found that that was one of the ways that was so energizing. So I now have a weighted blanket. I have one of those happy sad light things. I have lots of melatonin if I need it. I have caffeine, of course. The only thing I don't do is I, I really don't take a prescription medication because I find that to be scary in my eyes. <laughs> and what else? Yeah, sleeping masks and earplugs, even though I just like live by myself, I still look insane when I go to sleep, because those are all the things that I like happen to need. And I have a whole routine too. follow the Tim Ferriss thing of a uh, drinking a hot cup of honey and apple cider vinegar. You haven't tried it. It tastes really weird at the beginning. You get used to it after like a long time. And then um, following. um,
1: Is it kind of of like drinking a sour beer where it takes you that third sip before you appreciate it?
0: It's really, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It kind of hits you in the face. And then because I don't believe in really measuring things, it, it hits you in the face differently every night too. Cause I'm always surprised. I get to surprise myself. And then I take a bubble bath and try to do meditation as well. But because I'm so impatient, I try to do all, as many things as I can, like batching them together. But, uh, but yeah, so I find that that definitely is one of the things that leave me first. Whenever I'm stressed or anxious um, about anything that that's happening, sleep will be the first thing that leaves. But one thing that I'm really great at uh, in terms of balance is exercise and diet. So I cook for myself. I actually learn a new recipe every week. That has been my thing for ten years, and uh, and I love doing that because it's the only creative thing that I do. I don't do anything that's creative at all. And then I also do online workouts now. And uh, well, now, but because we used to do a lot of in person, so I do circuit training. Training, Hit training, yoga, Pilates, anything really that is walkable distance to me. Proximity is weirdly important to me. I was like, if it's close enough, I will go. And then when we did this online, I was in great shape because we met for some reason eleven times a week to do workout and yoga with each other. We met a crazy amount of times. I think everyone else was pretty bored too, but they were really good about participating and bringing that kind of energy over. So right now, I would still say that in terms of balance, you can always have pillars that you can check off like i'm good at this this and this and i need to work on this this and this and then ask yourself what is the first fastest quickest way i can resolve one piece of the thing that i'm missing so if i know that my sleep isn't doing so well what is one piece of something that i can improve on i mean i know that making my night drink that uh, apple cider vinegar and honey thing you got to try it john you're gonna like it um (laughs) is is something that is easy for me. But I also know that I find like, you know, doing the nightly bath or the meditation is a bit of a hassle. So, you know, what can I do to make it easier well, I can set things aside, you know, I can actually set it up before the night comes or whatever, right? I can set up uh, my clothes to sleep, set up my bed. So what are these little things that you can do to make these kinds of routines easier? Because your balance is your routine. But the secret of your success is usually in your routines. It's not in most other things. It's what you do when you're not thinking about it. It's what you do that gives you that energy and motivation to really keep pushing forward.
1: So you and I, I'm going to unpack this for just a little bit. You and I share a number of the same thoughts. One, I, I don't take any
0: also drink that drink.
1: Yeah. I don't I don't take any prescription drugs. Um, exercise of some form is part of my daily routine. I love HIT type of classes. Used to be a huge orange theory person, not so much anymore, but I'll I'll do a spin class or um always in the gym a few days a week, uh lifting as well. But uh I have also tried to get into a much better sleep pattern because it's something one I struggle with, but to find has such a dramatic impact on our cognitive abilities and you know, the energy level that you bring each day. So for me, I've gotten used to taking magnesium D3, and as you said, melatonin uh, about an hour before I go to bed, I try to do the hot cup of tea um, and, and it does help. And I wear this, I guess I'm advertising for whoop here, this whoop device so I can manage um, my sleep patterns and really get into what's causing a a red night of sleep, which is a bad one or a green night and try to adjust accordingly. Um, And I think sleep, as you're saying, plus diet, that whole wellness aspect, um, in addition to your relationship and career, the three really need to work in tandem together. And if you don't have that wellness side of it working, the other two are not gonna be as strong as they could be.
0: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, how, how can you possibly keep going on a sustainable rate, you know, when you don't have all of these things in balance?
1: Yes. Do you have a morning routine? You have an evening routine. Is there one that you use in the morning as well?
0: Yeah, I actually, I, I am excited for my morning routine all the time. So I wake up at uh, about six in the morning and then I go outside if I can, like if it's sunny and not snowy, because I live in Montreal, so it snows a lot. So if it's sunny outside, I can go outside uh, and there is an area that's like a seated area right behind my building. Um, And they have a bunch of picnic tables and a bunch of benches and everything. And so I go out there to journal and read every morning. So I just journal um, anything um, and then I write my two biggest tasks of the day. So I always believe in keeping your goals small and, you know, doable. Sometimes you may not even do it just because like, for example, this morning I did not actually get to um, get something approved because my account wasn't working. So (laughs) sometimes your goal is just to contact tech support and that's like your day. And that's, Fine. And so, um, yeah, so I do journaling. I do reading. Uh, Right now, I'm reading a lot of Malcolm Gladwell. So he is an author who is Canadian, actually. So that's awesome. And uh, I finished uh, Tim Ferriss. I did uh, a Tony Robbins book during the quarantine as well. Um, Ariane Huffington. But uh, but yeah, so finishing uh, these kinds of books that I always put on the list. And you can only really do it if it's part of your routine in some way. I also have my morning tea as well. I'm a tea drinker, not a coffee drinker. So I have this outside. Every morning there was this girl that was so funny because I show up so early and sometimes the sun isn't even up yet. Like I'm there and it's dark and it's me and it looks like it looks really creepy from afar. But um, because it's like one single lamp that's just like at my table, I have now become friends with the uh, inventory people that bring inventory and produce to the local stores because they say (laughs) hi to me every morning and there's this girl who i did not notice was like looking at me before so she came over to me one day and she said every morning i see you here reading and it is so nice because it makes me feel that the world is getting nicer it was such a lovely thing to say that is such a nice thing isn't it? And I was, I was, I just loved it. I thought it was uh, I thought it was beautiful. And so then I posted um, that online too, that that was like such a, a great thing that someone gets to be a part of your morning routine or that it gets to be a part of their day and you don't even realize it.
1: Yes. Well, we also share going outside first thing in the morning. I, before that I, I make my bed. I haven't been a military guy. It's just something I, I can't get out of. Yeah. Uh, but then the next thing I do is I drink a full glass of water and I I take a digestive enzyme and I like to get that water in me and make sure I'm hydrating first thing in the morning. And then for me, I've got a black lab. So I take him out into the alley and hang out with him for a few minutes every morning. Um, And I I love just hearing nature at that time uh, early in the morning and uh, just kind of wakes you up and and gives you positive energy for the day.
0: Yeah, I I love it. I think that uh, I couldn't believe I wasn't a morning person, you know, during most of my adult life. I can't believe that I was just a morning person the past like few years. I wish I did it um, earlier. I wish I did it more. And um, I it does feel so energizing to be able to uh, wake up and get so much accomplished. And sometimes, you know, you realize that all of your big tasks were really just things that you could have done so quickly, but you really only have that alone time and that reflection time in the morning, because at the end of the day, you're, you're usually really frazzled, and you have a lot of decision fatigue by that, you know, by the end of the day, and then it's getting to be so hard to, um, you know, find your motivation to do all of your big tasks, and to uh, go really dig deep into your long term goals, which is also something that a lot of people put off because of their day to
1: day. Well, we've talked a lot about habits, which is great because I think that they're one of the most important things an entrepreneur or an aspiring growth enthusiast can do in their life. But what is one thing that you have removed from your life that has made you more productive?
0: Ooh, so that that's a good one. Um, so this is gonna sound so silly, though. So one thing that I've removed from my life is putting my phone charger elsewhere. So all I did was literally just move it, removed it from my bedroom. Um, So this was a teaching from Ariana Huffington's Sleep Revolution. She has 12 tactics. This is tactic number one. This is the hardest one on her list. She really should have made it number 12. Like she should have made us feel like we're accomplishing more things easier. This was the hardest one, which was charge your phone somewhere else. So removing my actual physical cell phone and uh, she calls it escorting it out of the room. That's how she
1: says it. She, <laughs> yes. Like the, I heard her on a recent podcast talking about so it. so nice
0: when she says it, right? So she calls it escorting it out of the room. I think she actually sells like a pillow for your phone and um, <laughs> <laughs> which is really funny. And so, yeah, so I, I I've moved it to, to put it somewhere else. So then I'm not reaching for it when I can't sleep, which is often... And then I'm also not reaching for it early in the morning, right when I wake up, unless I have to turn off an alarm. But sometimes I just use my Google Home so then I can just talk to it. And I'm not reaching for it late at night to check some last minute emails or, you know, do those kinds of things. Because if you have people that work from everywhere, they can message you from anytime. And, uh, and then, you know, you, your anxiety really does go down because you get to tell yourself, okay, I don't have to reply right now. Do I? And, um, and, and, and so on and so forth, just being like, Hey, this is, time for sleep. This is time for productive sleep. And that is the most productive thing I can do right now. And, um, and that's, I would say that's the habit that I have removed and it's helped tremendously. And if you don't have a separate room, like there were, there were some people, I think it was the try guys. If you haven't tried, if you haven't seen this one yet, you got to see it. Try guys on YouTube. They did a video where they did all of the top habits from CEOs. So they did one from Bill Gates. They did one from uh, Richard Branson, Arianna Huffington, um, Mark Zuckerberg. They did all of these different, um, CEO habits and they just killed themselves because like it was real because they were like average guys it was super funny to to watch and see so one guy couldn't um, charge his phone in his room right so because but he only had one room so he had to charge it in the bathroom every single time and it was really funny he's like this is my only other room so he did that and he still found a way so for all, everyone listening there's always a way there's a there's always a way
1: okay well I'd like to give you an opportunity for the listeners out there. If they want to learn more about you, contact you? What are some ways that they can do it? And of course, I'll put these in the show notes as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can go on our website www.venturx.ca. There is a contact us form. So I do read these contact us emails. um, So you can contact me that way. Also, you can follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Medium and YouTube. We're especially active on LinkedIn and Medium and YouTube as well. So you can leave comments, um, you can follow us. We have lots of great content as well um to put up every week so we hope to see you there
1: okay great well we're going to get into my favorite part of the episode most guests love it as well it's going to be a rapid round of just a few questions where i just want you to give you know something quick off the top of your mind okay so i'm going to start off with um you mentioned Tim Ferriss a couple of times, love his podcast, huge fan of him overall. If you met Tim Ferriss tomorrow, what question would you ask him?
0: Oh, will you do acro yoga with me?
1: Have you ever done acro yoga?
0: No, that's why I want to
1: do it. Funny enough, I actually did it for a few years. So.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: I did not know Tim Ferriss did it. Wow.
0: Yeah, he went on the Jimmy Kimmel show to do it with him. And I'm like, I want to do that too now.
1: Well, it is definitely a confidence boost, especially if you were a flyer. Uh, next question would be similar question. If you were to meet Ariana Huffington tomorrow, what would you ask her?
0: Why did you put putting your cell phone away as number one? That was so hard. <laughs> Seriously took me months after reading her book to do this. It was, like hard, it was the hardest practice.
1: It's not, it's not easy, but the other advantage you get is not having that blue light right in your face right before you go to bed, which also can kill your sleep patterns as well.
0: Yeah, very true. Very true.
1: What is your favorite episode you've been watching on Netflix?
0: Um, I favorite episodes. So I finished um, Superstore and I really did like it. Um, so I thought that was great. It was uh, so. If you guys don't know, it's America Ferrera, and um, she works at basically what is like a Walmart. And all of the different uh, casts and characters and everything were actually very representative of what an American Walmart would look like. And I thought it was really great because like, you know, they, they had very real people. It was really funny. And yeah, I, I think, I think that it was something that I was looking forward to every day. And I'm sad that it's over.
1: (laughs) If there was one habit you could tell an entrepreneur to change first, what would it be?
0: Um, What would it be? Oh, that's a good one. I would say, try to, I don't know how to say in a, in a different way, try to be as reflective of your business as possible. So, that whole um, as as a as somebody who does a lot of judging on panels and such, you know, we tend to ask the exact same questions over and over and over again because we're trying to find the exact answer out of the the question. So we get a lot of entrepreneurs that uh, answer any question, right? Doesn't matter what the question is, they'll have they'll have an answer, but it's a question is the answer that they wanted to tell you, not the answer they're supposed to tell you. <laughs> so I would say try and be more reflective of what the actual situation is. That would make things go so much more smooth
1: okay uh last one i happen to have an episode that released today uh, with astronaut chris cassidy so my question is going to be if you got selected to go on the mission to mars and they allowed you to pick one law you can put in place what would it be one law one law
0: can it be like real it could be anything you want okay Oh, I want everyone to have the ability to fly. I think that would be an amazing thing to do on Mars. Well,
1: I don't know what their gravity is like, but you never know. That's true. Probably physically not possible. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed it. And I think our listeners are going to learn so much from all your words, mindsets, and beliefs that you shared.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was great.
1: I really enjoyed that episode with Cindy and getting to learn a lot more about her passion and her belief. And I am so excited to see what VentureX will do in the coming years and the success it will have in building entrepreneur ecosystems, in Montreal and beyond. And I wanted to take this opportunity to highlight a couple of the different episodes that I brought up today during our conversation A couple of those were solo episodes one in which I talked about my own impenetrable morning routine which you could go back and listen to I also discussed the law of attraction which I did a whole episode on and one on time management and how many of us fall into the I don't have time syndrome we also discussed a number of interviews that I did as well Cindy expressed how much cooking means to her and how she tries to do a recipe each week and earlier on in the show I had on Chef Sharon Guerin, culinary queen who has become an entrepreneur and is cooking healthy meals for so many people in the Tampa Bay area. We also talked about astronaut Chris Cassidy and the episode that I did with him on the importance of being present. And we also talked about Victoria, British Columbia, which is where I interviewed Sid Tobias, who's within the government in British Columbia on what it means to be a new age digital leader. As always, thank you so much. For watching or listening to the show and i hope that these episodes and my solo messages in between are bringing value to your life and helping you unlock your passion now go out there and get igniting your own thank you so much for joining us the purpose of our show is to make passion go viral and we do that by sharing with you the knowledge and skills that you need to unlock your hidden potential if you want to hear more please subscribe to the passion struck podcast on